Hello and welcome to episode 164 of the Smash Accept Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Royer. You can find me on Twitter at DynastyDadFF. And I just got done watching the greatest athlete of our generation, Joey Chestnut, you know, going out there, 4th of July. And we're going to talk today about some other great athletes. You know, it is a 4th of July type special. There's going to be electric and among the the most electric position in football. And there's been such a, a change in how people are drafting in fantasy is that wide receiver position. So I'm excited to chop that up for you. But before we do that, any any big 4th of July plans or anything you're excited for this weekend? Yeah, what's going on, guys? You guys can find me on Twitter at FFA underscore Mung. That's M-E-N-G. And yeah, we're actually recording uh, on Sunday before the 4th of July holiday. So depending on whenever you listen to this, happy, happy Independence Day to all of you. And uh, I'm I'm gonna go watch the NASCAR race in a little bit, so I'm pretty excited for that. I'm in Chicago, and uh, it's the first time they're doing something like this, so it should be interesting. And then uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, talk about electric, right? Yeah, yeah, perfect, perfect segue in. You know, um, so this weekend, obviously, this, this upcoming weekend, Scott Fishbowl. You know, there's some live drafts. We're gonna be doing all all the drafts on Sunday. Uh, excited about that. And Mung, when you look at Scott Fishbowl, you know, in years past, everyone that's dominated by running backs and quarterbacks early. You look at the ADP on Fantasy Pros for the 2023 season, and right now Justin Jefferson is the 101 in, in redraft. You know, Jamar Chase is the 103. You actually have between, depending on what your draft looks like, somewhere between six and eight wide receivers going in that first round in redraft. And, Mung, I can't remember a season that way. I cannot remember that over the last five, six years where it's just been – a draft that's been dominated in one quarterback by running backs and in super flex by wide receivers. And these are by running backs and wide receivers are really starting to, you know, people are starting to see the benefit of drafting wide receiver early. Well, we've touched on this before, but with the internet and everything that came with it, really everybody has access to the same information, right? You can subscribe to different sites and listen to different podcasts, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of information out there and it just, generally makes for a smarter crowd in as a whole and so the advantages that you may have had 10 years ago by just simply picking a couple sleepers are no longer there and roster construct roster construction is really important both redraft best ball dynasty it all comes down to overall projections for your team before it comes down to going deep into the weeds and those late round sleepers and all that. So I think we're seeing people getting smarter as a whole. And that's why wide receivers are so important because we know in half PPR, especially full PPR formats, you definitely want a wide receiver at the flex position or your multiple flex positions, depending on how many you start. Yeah. And that's a great point because I, I do feel like people have gotten a lot more intelligent. And even as our podcast has grown, we've had to do that as well. You know, we've we've switched more from just saying, hey, this is player X, this is player Y to a lot of the shows we've been doing recently, you know, are how to make the trades, how to assess the players, how to do those kind of things. I mean, look at the the philosophy edition we had with with Scott Connor and some of those kind of things. And 
I, I'm curious to hear your overall methodology of the wide receiver and how that's changed over the course of time or how it hasn't. You know, like how do you value the wide receiver position when it comes to a startup draft versus, you know, trades? Because I've really evolved from this over the last couple of years. I mean, and you you've played with me long enough to know that I love the running back position. Right. Absolutely love it. But I've shifted a lot more towards those wide receiver early and get those, you know, because of the the influx and the the injury risks to kind of avoid the running back position unless you get the absolute value yeah and actually i saw a meme uh maybe a few days ago where it was uh like a woman helping her elderly grandma and the 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 bubble above the grandma said back in my day we used to draft only running backs in the first (laughs) round and then then the girl is saying like okay grandma all right it's time for dinner I feel um, like th- that's on our show. You're just like dad's talking. You're like, okay, boomer. You know, we got to get with the get with the times. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is right with all the information and the changing dynamics of ADP by position and also by player. And what you're saying is, I, I don't know that I treat wide receivers any differently in dynasty than running backs or quarterbacks. It really comes back to what we talk a lot about tiers. And I think that's really important because you can say, you know, Garrett Wilson's my wide receiver five and AJ Brown's my wide receiver four, but is there a teardrop between the two, right? What's the actual gap in projected production this year and also in actual dynasty value if you were to trade? So just looking at the top of my rankings real quick, we're not going to get too deep into it. You can find all those on Fantrax, quick plug. Uh, I just updated my one QB and Superflex Dynasty rankings. But when you look at the wide receivers, I have Chris Olave as my wide receiver eight, and then Drake London and Devontae Smith as my wide receiver nine and 10 in Dynasty. And they're all fairly close together. But between Amon Ross St. Brown and Chris Olave, there's a little bit of a tier to the next group. And then above that, I have a big tier gap to the wide receiver five and six, um, you know, CeeDee Lamb and Garrett Wilson. So, again, I think it's important to understand when you're trading up for a wide receiver one, are we talking about an elite top five or six wide receiver or those back end guys who are still giving you a weekly advantage in points, but maybe only an extra two to three points per week versus that five or six you would get from an A.J. Brown or a Justin Jefferson. Yeah. One thing I've been looking at a lot lately, and especially more for like your, your yearly, is, you know, getting those, you look at the guys that are those elite wide receivers. We talked about, you know, those top seven guys. If you look at the, the offenses that they're on and, and the quarterbacks they're tied to, I mean, you look at right now, you know, Justin Jefferson, Minnesota was the, you know, you take the top 10 scoring offenses last year. Minnesota was number seven. You know, you moved to Cincinnati. And then you have Jamar Chase, and they were they were wide, or they were the sixth highest offense. You know, like every single one of these guys, Dallas was top ten. The only guy that's not in there is Garrett Wilson, and a lot of people have him projected as top ten. Waddle, it was in that area where he was. You know, when two was on the field, Miami was a top ten offense. So, how much do you look at the level of efficiency of that offense? the quarterback they're tied to because it is a dynasty landscape where things are going to change. You know, like a lot of people right now have been fighting back where, you know, trying to move Jamar chase into that wide receiver one because of Joe Burrow, because of Jefferson's 
being tied to Kirk Cousins and things like that. Garrett Wilson all of a sudden gets this huge jump where in Smash 11, he actually just went as the third wide receiver off the board, you know, and he's getting a lot of a lot of hype. So how much do you look at, you know, what kind of offense they're in? Because a lot of people, they, you know, they play the volume. Other people play the elite level offenses. How much is how important is that to you? It's very important. I mean, you look at players who have failed to produce super highly in fantasy until they change situations, right? Uh, Stefan Diggs is a good example. He was solid in Minnesota, but he didn't really truly have a, a couple elite seasons until he went to Buffalo with Josh Allen. And anytime you're building projections, whether it's for wide receivers or whatever position, you're going to have to look at the overall team projections first, right? Kind of a top-down view because – if you're projecting, let's say, Justin Jefferson for 180 targets, and then you're projecting Jordan Addison for 150 and TJ Hawkinson for 100, well, is Kirk Cousins realistically going to throw the ball 850 times this year? You have to kind of look at whether or not that math makes sense, right? And then you adjust based on the overall projections. Okay, who do I think is going to get a slightly higher target share? or is going to be a little bit more efficient with touchdowns in the red zone. And you it, we really have to start with a top-down picture, and that's super important for wide receivers because they are tied to a quarterback. And I know I talked about this before on the Launchpad show with Dave Kluge last week. Um, great episode. Recommend you guys listen to that. But I talked about Christian Watson a little bit, and he had a super high yards per route run last season. But that was with Aaron Rodgers, right? And we know that quarterback play affects yards per route run and a lot of other metrics. So you can't just take that one piece and say he's going to be amazing this year because we haven't factored in what this passing offense might look like and what they might do differently with Jordan Love. Yeah, I love it. And then as I'm looking at it even closer, you know, out of your top 12 wide receivers last year, only Amari Cooper was not on a top 10 offense, you know, and Devontae Adams. And Devontae Adams was on the Raiders where he was – an 11th best offense. And then Cleveland was the, the anomaly there. You know, Amari Cooper was getting all the targets. Once you move into the wide receiver two area, then it's a little bit different. You know, you look out of that group, you know, Lockett was 13, McLaurin, Ayuk, DK Metcalf, Evans, T Higgins, Godwin, Pittman, Garrett Wilson, Judy cup, and DJ Moore. Then you get to an area where it's not quite as relevant. And that's where it's huge to make sure you're trying to get those wide receiver ones. Everybody's trying to predict them. And I think one of the obvious ways to do that is to predict what offenses are going to be top 10, what offenses are going to have the most volume. And you and I both agree there's two offenses right now that, you know, were borderline top 10 last year, but but weren't quite in there. Miami obviously being one of them where they would have been with two over top 10. And then Baltimore, you know, and who are the guys that we're starting to buy in those situations? And the other one that's in that fringe area is obviously the Jets. I mean, I think the Jets have the potential with Aaron Rodgers to have a top 10 scoring offense as well. So are those the teams that you're looking at? A lot of a lot of offenses, there's a lot of things, a lot of changing pieces. We got to figure out who's going to be that next top 10 offense and try to, you know, pick out the wide receivers that are going to be from that group. Definitely. And you can even look at offenses that were already very good last year, right? Take the Eagles, for example, your mm -hmm. Philadelphia Eagles, who came very close to another Super Bowl title. And really, when you look at their stats, they were super, super run heavy with Jalen Hurts, especially in the red zone. I mean, they ranked 30th in red zone pass rate over expectation. Um, despite, you know, having a great season, I think the ceiling could be even higher this, this year for A.J. Brown. And yeah. I love him. Um, I believe in my redraft rankings, I have him ranked 
just behind Tyreek Hill and Justin Jefferson and, and Jamar Chase. So my wide receiver four, a little higher on him compared to consensus. So when you look at the evolving offenses year over year, you have to factor in quarterback situation, coaching changes, scheme changes, and these all kind of impact more than what just a player can do on his own. Because even if we know the talent is there, sometimes they need that scheme to maximize their potential for fantasy. So you spoke about the launch pad and I know we, you know, we had a great time on there with Kluge and one offense. And, and, and the question that comes up a lot is people are always saying, Hey dad, you know, I drafted player X. Should I draft the wide receiver on that same team in a situation like B. John Robinson goes and then Drake London, you know, how much do you try to avoid? Do, does that bother you, you know, of trying to stack that, because I, I get the question a lot. They're like, well, I took this guy from this team. Now I don't want to have a running back or wide receiver from that team because they kind of eat into each other. My answer is always, I mean, the elite level offenses are going to score. So, I mean, if you take Jamar Chase, you should not be worried about taking Joe Mixon later, you know, as opposed to you take, you know, you take a wide receiver that doesn't have a premium running back. I mean, that, that's a totally different scenario. But I find that a lot of dynasty owners and a lot of fantasy owners in general don't like to have a running back and wide receiver from the same team. I mean, a guy messaged me the other day and he said, you know, I'm at the, I took Garrett Wilson in the early second and Brees Hall fell to the late second, but I don't think I should take him because I don't want to have two jets on my roster. And I'm like, value is value. Like Brees Hall, by the way, I got him in, in smash except 11 at the 209 and Kyler Murray, who we talked about on the launch pad at 304. So, I mean, you knew that was my biggest target there. I know I'm kind of rambling about that, but talk to me a little bit about that running back versus wide receiver combination. Well, again, it comes back to building out those overall league-wide and team projections first, right? I have no issue with, like you said, taking Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Joe Mixon. <laughs> yeah. Um, because we know that the Bengals run a fast-paced offense. They're a pass-heavy offense. There's room for all of these assets to be productive in fantasy. But if we're going to talk about perhaps, you know, Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk on the same team on a much more run-heavy 49ers offensive scheme, I might shy away from that a little bit because really realistically you would potentially need one of them to miss time for the other to have true ceiling potential in fantasy. So again, it's a case by case basis, right? I love AJ Brown and I like Rashad Penny because he plays a slightly different role where I'm expecting to get early down goal line touches, but it's part of the reason I'm fading Deandre Swift a little bit because I do think the Eagles don't throw to the running back position as much. So it does affect differences. And you talked to, you brought up Bijan Robinson, who I love. I think I have him as my RB2 um, in redraft and my RB1 in dynasty. So super high expectations for him. I think he's going to be in a workhorse or at least near workhorse role immediately. And I am, I love the talent for both Drake London and Kyle Pitts, but I am shying away from them a little bit because I do think that Arthur Smith wants to continue a very run-heavy scheme. And while that may mean great things for Bijan Robinson, it may not mean as, men, as many targets or receptions for Pitts or London. So again, I think it's fine to target certain players from the same team, like Waddle, A-Chain, um, and Tyree Kill. I would love to get all on the same team because I'm bullish on that offense overall. But when you step back and look at the big picture, you have to pick and choose which offenses you're willing to invest heavily in. I'm glad you brought up Drake London because right now, and I know you were on him last year. I, I was, I was more of a Garrett Wilson, Traylon Burks guy right now. 
I am all over Drake London. Drake London is one of my biggest buys in Dynasty. When you look at what he was able to do with the efficiency, it, it's a strong predictor of what he is able to do this year. 29.4% target share. That's fifth highest. 32.4% targets per route run. That's second highest in the NFL. 2.4 yards per route run. That's 11th. I mean, and then when Ritter took over, it, it got even better. You know, so I understand what you're saying there. The biggest thing for me is Drake London has become a buy because when we talked about this in February, when we were doing drafts, because we're absolute degenerates, you know, when, when we started talking about those things, London, Wilson, and Alave were not very far off in ADP. London has, or Wilson has moved all the way up into the early second. Uh, Chris Alave just went 206 in Smash 11. He's consistently in that 206 to 208. And Drake London's still in that four. 02 to 404 range and i just can't make that make sense yet you know like i just cannot get myself into pushing a talent a guy that's a top 10 drafted wide receiver you know it goes in the nfl draft in the top 10 with the skill set that he has and the age like he just seems to be one of my screaming buys there it talk to me a little bit about where you're at with london because we talked about what you said with Pitts. london just feels like a very good value right now I like London long-term a lot, um, but yeah. part of the issue, you mentioned the splits with Ritter, but at the same time, Pitts missed some of those games, so I'm mm-hmm. hesitant to necessarily project London for that same kind of target share. And when we're talking about the Falcons, really it comes back down to the overall um, expectations for that offense, right? Because mm-hmm. when you look at Arthur Smith, he just really – he loves to run the ball. He did it with Derrick Henry um, when he was the offensive coordinator in Tennessee a few years back. And looking at their pass rates and their neutral situation pace over the last few years, it just seems like the Falcons are going to continue to be a slightly slower paced offense. And at best, I would say, you know, league average in pass rate. So I just don't know that the target volume is going to be there for London. So I think, if you're looking to buy him, I might actually wait until midseason or later in the season because I do project him as closer to a back-end wide receiver two, maybe wide receiver three for 2023 alone. So again, based on what you think these players are going to do early in the year, I think that affects the timing of the buy and sell because I do think he's a long-term buy, but I might be holding off, uh, not quite as enthusiastic as you are uh, right now in the offseason. I'm going to run by a couple trades. Uh, I mean, I love, I, I know I've been hyping them for a couple weeks. Bulletproof, Bulletproof with two Fs at the end, BulletproofFF.com. They they have over right now 700 Dynasty Sleeper Leagues that they, they're scrubbing all the information out for Dynasty Trades, for ADP. You know, right now London's ADP is 38.6. He's going off the board at wide receiver 15. I'm going to run you by some Dynasty Trades here that I think are are, are interesting to at least talk about. So the first one is Drake London in an early 24 second or Bryce Young in Superflex. I think that's a really even deal, to be honest with you, um, because I think you should manage expectations for Young as a rookie as well. And part of the issue is we also don't expect him to run for a lot. So not a whole lot of rushing production there, which matters a lot for fantasy. Mm-hmm. So I think that one's really, really even. It comes down to team need and whether you know, you want to go in that QB direction, depending on what wide receivers have, or if you're pretty good at QB and you're just looking to rebuild with some younger wide receivers. 
Like, and I'm seeing a lot of trades here, straight up Drake London for Tyree Kill, Drake London for Cooper Cup. Obviously, those are ones that are directionally made. Another interesting one that I, I got to bring up here because we, we talk a lot about moving off of some of those top level tear down from quarterbacks, Josh Allen or uh, Deshaun Watson and Drake London. This is a, it looks like four point passing touchdown super flex league where you're looking at scaling off of Josh Allen to get Deshaun Watson and Drake London. What do you think? That one's tough for me because I'm still trying to do my bills projections for this year. And it's really tough to read into the coach speak because they've said multiple times this off season that we want Josh Allen to protect himself more, to run a little bit less. And I've mentioned this before where that doesn't mean he's going to stop running, right? That's part of what makes him such a dynamic quarterback and part of what makes the Bills offense so dangerous, especially in the red zone. But I do think, and it's partially why I've increased my projections for Damian Harris, because I do think he's mm -hmm. going to see some of that goal line work where they want to protect Josh Allen. I just, I we've been on Deshaun Watson as a buy for two years, right? Ever since he was suspended, basically we were saying, you know, all the moral stuff aside, if you're looking for value, He's going to be a starting quarterback. Again, he's going to rise into that top 10 dynasty QB conversation as soon as he hits the field. And even though he didn't look great as a passer in those six games last year, he actually rushed quite a bit. And that was part of his fantasy appeal before. Mm -hmm. I might lean Watson and London, but it, it, that's a really tough one. I think yeah. I feel like I almost need a second. Are kind I almost of need a second back. Yeah, yeah. There's direction on there. And to your point with Deshaun Watson, I mean, right now he is going at that 112 to 202 range. And, you know, if you guys have been listening to the podcast, like I said, since February, we were touting Alave Wilson when they were in that mid third, late third, you know, even fourth round. Deshaun Watson, another guy like there's so many guys in this area where we were just saying, hey, this is somebody you should be buying. This is an area where you need to be investing. And these guys have risen in their stock. I mean, they were, we're on these things ahead of time. That's what we really, Mung and I really talk a lot about this being a cyclical thing. You know, we know where these guys are going to go. And they've all just kind of accumulated value like we thought they would. Um, looking at the wide receiver position, if you're investing in one of those top eight right now based off of cost, who is that guy for you? You know, like you you got Chase going at 106 and Ch and or 109 and Jefferson going at 106. But out of those other guys, like who's that guy that you're investing in? You know, we did the running back show last week with Zoltan, and there is a fair point to buy high on some guys. You know, buy a guy based off his price because you know he's either going to inch up a little bit, or in a lot of these situations, you look at the age of of Jalen Waddle, Ceedee Lamb, Amon Ross, St. Brown. I mean, these are guys that are going to be you know, cornerstones of your dynasty team and hold their value for multiple years. Yeah, I mentioned A.J. Brown before. He's my wide receiver three in dynasty. Still super young, uh, going to be just 26 year, years old this season. And like I said, based on the target share that he saw last year, if the Eagles end up being just a little bit more pass heavy, especially in the red zone, A.J. Brown could have just – dominant year and I don't think it's out of the question that he could finish as the top overall uh, fantasy wide receiver in 2023 so I love him as a buy um, I like Jalen Waddle a lot because we've talked I mean even before Tyree Kill's latest little incident right where he uh, slapped the back of the head of some marina employee or something uh, I'm, not, I'm not too worried about uh, the suspension 
for this season due to that. But in general, he's had a history of these kind of issues. He's also a little bit older than A.J. Brown. So when we're talking about potential number twos who could become number ones for their offense, Jalen Waddell fits that mold. And I will say I'm a little bit hesitant on CeeDee Lamb because of what we've heard Mike McCarthy say um, after they parted ways with Kellen Moore. I don't know that they can get much less pass-heavy. They were already 25th in pass rate over expectation last year, but they were 11th in red zone PROE, so we could see a little bit more Tony Pollard and Malik Davis or whoever else near the goal line instead of as many passes. And the big worrisome number for me is that Dallas ranked second in neutral situational pace last year, so they played a lot on offense. And Mike McCarthy's come right out and say, right, we don't want our defense on the field all the time. They might try to slow things down a little bit, and I do think that C.D. Lamb's numbers could take a hit as a result. And I still have him ranked very highly. I still think he's going to be a top 10 fantasy wide receiver this year. I just don't know that we're going to see elite type of production that we could from A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill and those guys. I'm with you there. I mean, I, I do love C.D. Lamb. You know, he's coming off the best year of his, his career at 17.7 fantasy points per game. And this I'm, I'm not trying to steal your line here, but I think the, the way to do this right now, if you look at wide receiver three to wide receiver seven, it is not a huge gap in value. But I am seeing some deals here where, especially with Jalen Waddle. I mean, I saw two trades in the past week. I saw one, someone gave up Jalen Waddle and a 24 first for Garrett Wilson. And then I saw someone give up uh, Amon Ross St. Brown in the 24 first for CeeDee Lamb. And I'm like, the gap between one and two down to three is larger than where it is with these guys from three to seven. I mean, three to seven are elite level wide receivers, but at the same token, you are not paying a 24 first on top of any of these other guys. I mean, if you can get a 24 second, I would still even take it. Like any single one of these guys, if you can extrapolate a little bit more value, I do have Lamb, Wilson, and uh, A.J. Brown just a little bit higher than Waddle and Amon St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown is an interesting one because I am seeing him slip out of that mid-second, and I've been seeing him going after Chris Olave in startup drafts, which kind of shocks me. You know, I think Amon Ross St. Brown is on – we talk about it. Detroit was a top 10 passing offense last year. Amon Ross St. Brown's coming off back-to-back seasons where he has been – Fantastic. You know, I know a lot of people were not really believing in it last year, but you really can't deny what he was able to put up last year. Uh, you know, from year to year, Amon Ross St. Brown looks fantastic and seems to be one of the bigger buys in that area because people are starting to push him down. Um, do you feel like Chris Olave is close to that group? Or do you think that's the start of that next group there? You know, like we get into that weird area where people are just trying to find that next elite right wide receiver, right? Like we projected Garrett Wilson above these other guys early. Now we're projecting Garrett Wilson. We want to put him into that area. That's a lot of the reason why I have Drake London higher than a lot of people is like, everyone's just trying to push those young elite wide receivers above the production wide receivers. And it almost feels like it's too early. Right. I have Amon Ross St. Brown wide receiver seven and Lave literally right behind him. Um, even. Yeah. I have, I have them as I, I do too. I have them at seven and eight, you know, and I, but I think, I think there is a gap between those two, at least at this current time period. Are you closer in the market or for you? I think, I think both. Okay. I I have them very close because at the end of the day, it comes down to the fact that I just don't think Michael Thomas can stay healthy. 
Um, I, I, and I hope he can because he was a great player when he was. But it's been, what, three years, something like that, with the with the recurring foot issues. And I, what is he, like 29? I don't even know. Um, it just brings I, back bad memories of that show. You, John, and I did an entire show on Michael Thomas where he's coming back. Let's buy him. You know, like, it, I just feel the sting for that every single year. And I just, I, like, I, I want to believe. Right, right. I want to believe, but it's like, nope, I, I just can't get in on it again. Right. And if someone offered me Michael Thomas for a late second, I think on principle I have to accept, but I, even then I wouldn't feel great about it. Right. And yeah. so for me, the reason I have Olave still in that tier with Amon Ross St. Brown and more or less not a huge gap to Lamb and Wilson and those guys is because of what we saw Derek Carr do with Devontae Adams last year. Right. Mm-hmm. He just wasn't hesitant to target him downfield. He wasn't hesitant to target him early and often. So even with a really good top three, top five Saints defense, I do think that we're still going to see volume for Chris Olave. So that's why I am pretty bullish on him, and I do still have him in that tier. That's perfect to go from Chris Olave to another situation here. Wide receiver I absolutely love in a dynasty trade here sent in. Jackson Smith and Jigba in an early second or Chris Olave. Which side are you taking? I think think I'm leaning Olave there. I, I like Jason a lot, but I wouldn't, I would temper expectations for him as a rookie with Metcalf and Lockett there. Um, I do think that there's potential for him to exceed expectations if one of those guys were to miss time, but I, he's not that clear number one that I think Olave is already. Right. I think a lot of people want to look at the mirror of, and, and try to talk about it like it's the Bengals, you know, and like DK Metcalf would fall into the T Higgins role and JSN would fall into that Jamar Chase. But your people are forgetting Tyler Lockett is considerably better than where Tyler Boyd was. I mean, Tyler Lockett was the wide receiver 13, two years in a row. Like he's not going away. I love JSN. This is a type of move where if I'm rebuilding or retooling at all, I feel like is a, is a win-win kind of deal because I do think talent wise, I think JSN is better than Chris Olave. Like if JSN was in new Orleans, and Chris Olave was was there in Seattle. The interesting part about Seattle is they have a top 10 offense. We talk about those wide receivers hitting there, and it's been DK, you know, DK last year as wide receiver 16, Tyler Lockett as wide receiver 13. How do you have these guys shaken out for 2023? Because everybody wants to know, right? Like, we keep talking about it on the podcast. It just means Geno is getting risen up. Like, Geno Smith is one of the most underrated dynasty quarterbacks right now like whether you believe in him or not what you saw last year as a top 10 quarterback now he gets even better weapons like this is a he goes as well as qb 22 right now and he was he was top 10 last year so talk to me a little bit about that offense how you see it shaking out you know it's tough because i've got him him and golf at 20 and 21 in dynasty because Mm -hmm. and that's about right i think they're fine for 2023. I still don't believe in them long-term necessarily. Both of them had great, great seasons. I wouldn't take that away from them. Uh, but at the same time, we saw Geno Smith start to decline a little bit over the second half of last year. At the same time, the Seahawks were super pass-heavy, way more than we've seen in prior years under Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe they're eighth in pass rate over expectation. And just I would expect a little bit of a step back, even though I think the overall offense could be absolute fireworks. You know, it's almost 4th of July. I could see fireworks in Seattle uh, this coming season. But I think 
their defense was a lot better than expected. I think they've added to the defense. They could slow that down even more. Um, they added Charbonnet, so they had that one-two punch with him and Walker. So I do mm-hmm. think we could see, as counterintuitive as it might sound, them pass a little bit less this year, even though they added JSN to lock it uh, and DK Metcalf. So when looking at that situation, I'm kind of just taking the cheapest guy there, which in redraft and dynasty, I think right now is probably Tyler Lockett. And By a lot. Yeah. Again, he's going to have those three and four point weeks and then a 25 point week. And we know we hate that, but it, it's hard to find consistency in general at the wide receiver pr- position. And until we actually see JSN emerge, I do think that Lockett is still going to play a very big role in this offense. And I do think if all three are healthy, Smith and Jigba is probably going to see the fewest targets of those three as a rookie. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it shakes out. I mean, right now you look at when when you're looking at ADP, Tyler Lockett is considerably lower than the two. I mean, DK Metcalf, I, I think we have Metcalf is wide receiver 16. Uh, JSN is wide receiver 13 and then Lockett is just wide receiver 49. And I think just like we talk about, he's like the James Conner of the wide receiver position, right? Like he cost you a, a second round pick two years ago. He still is going to cost you a second round pick. There's those guys that just year in and year out, they don't, they aren't the sexy names, but I mean, he is going in that same range and as wide receiver 49 in the same range as Josh Downs. Gabriel Davis, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster, Jaden Reed, Cortland Sutton. And I think given what you pay at that, that person, certain area of the draft, you're buying production. We try to really pick out that next guy out of that area. But once you get rounds 12 through 15, it's very difficult to assess a breakout. I mean, there's there's occasional Elijah Moore's in that area, Sky Moore's in that area. You know, there, there's a couple guys, but for the most part, you're buying production. Right. And we talk about tearing up or tearing down all the time. Right, adding a, a few picks or some ancillary players to try and move up and upgrade to one of yeah. those elite guys. But then also, if you can get what you think is going to be similar production from an older veteran who's worth a lot less in Dynasty by tearing down and picking up some draft capital, mm-hmm. that's a great deal, right? Because just off the top of my head, thinking about at the running back position, like tearing down, getting, selling Damian Pierce for, you could probably get maybe a late first and Damian Harris, who I think is going to have similar production Mm -hmm. Um, at the wide receiver position. I mean, if you're looking at younger guys with some hype, uh, John Dotson, his value has risen since uh, Matt Harmon had that reception perception of him. And Dotson's great. I I love Dotson, but sell him for a first plus Brandon Cooks, who I think is going to, you know, have similar production, maybe even outproduce some of those younger wide receivers in Dallas. And really, it's just looking at those value opportunities when you're comparing. And this is why it's important to compare dynasty rankings versus redraft rankings in ADP, right? Where are some of these older guys going? And if you believe in them and they're going pretty high in redraft formats, why are they potentially going so, so late in dynasty, even if we're only expecting another year or two out of them? Yeah, I think the one guy that, and I put a tweet out there about it the other day, is is the biggest discrepancy right now about that kind of information, about those those run wide receivers that are putting up elite production and they just drop off, is is the difference right now in ADP between Stefan Diggs at wide receiver 11 and Devontae Adams at wide receiver 17. They're going 
over a round apart. And Devontae Adams is someone that just, you know, he just keeps falling back at wide receiver 17. That seems like a screaming value. We have a lot of guys in that range where it's like, depending on what your draft looks like, your Tyreek Hill goes to wide receiver nine. He's going to put up that production. You know, when it comes to Hill, Adams, Stefan Diggs, essentially you're playing a redraft mentality anyway. So you know that their value is not going to increase again. Like their value has peaked, you know, and I think there's no problem in taking those guys when it comes to the draft. But again, I'm taking the cheapest guy when it comes to that option. What I have a question for you is, you know, again, looking at Bulletproof, you look at round five, and this is where you really separate the men from the boys. You know, uh, we get into that area where we are in wide receiver 18 up and Christian Watson goes as 18, Quentin Johnson at 19, Addison at 20, Judy at 21, Pittman 22, DJ Moore 23, Debo Samuel 24, and Traylon Burks 25. Like this is that area where I think, you know, you have to make a decision, right? Like how do you like to play in Dynasty? Do you want to, you know, invest in this range where this has the the largest range in outcomes, right? Some of these guys have the ceiling to be a wide receiver that could be in that third round by next year. Other ones – could bust and put themselves back down in that, you know, seven, eight, nine range. I think it's fairly stable based off their age, but out of that area, like who are you investing in? I think it's just a super intriguing area with, with the the talent that's there. I mean, Burks, Samuel, DJ Moore, Michael Pittman, Jerry, Judy, Jordan, Addison, Quentin Johnston, and Christian Watson. Yeah. I I think Quentin Johnson's starting to grow on me a little bit there. Um, Despite some of the knocks on his profile when I'm projecting for the chargers this year, and we never try to predict injury, right? Because it's not an exercise that is really helpful because we just don't know. Injuries are a random, you know, a variance type of event that we can't project for. But I just can't, I would not put money on Keenan Allen and Mike Williams both playing 17 games, right? At the end of the day, based on their history, based on their respective ages, I do think that we're going to see a stretch of games where Quentin Johnson leads the, leads the Chargers in targets. And so I like him there. Um, I, I like a bounce back for Debo Samuel. Uh, we looked at George Kittle's touchdown rate from last year, which was incredibly unsustainable, right? So I do think some of those will get balanced out. And people are worried about the lack of rushing production from Debo Samuel after they traded for McCaffrey. But they really didn't use Debo as a rusher, even in those earlier games before they got McCaffrey. And I think in general, he talked about last offseason how he was worried about the contract situation and he just wasn't in the right mindset of doing all the training that he usually does. So I do think we're going to see a bounce back in efficiency numbers from Debo, even though he's probably not going to hit that elite production anymore at his age and considering that Ayuk's come on and you know adding McCaffrey and all that. Yeah, and, and in that situation, and I, I, that's what I love about Dynasty. That's what I love about talking with you. I'm personally buying Ayuk because I believe that, you know, wide receiver 15 last year. And I think in a contract year could go somewhere else afterwards. You know, like Debo could have that bounce back. Back to Quentin Johnston. I love that take because I'm seeing Dynasty trades that just don't make sense right now. I mean, Quentin Johnston, there were two trades made in the last two days on Sleeper. Quentin Johnston straight up for Jamison Williams. I think Quentin Johnson is going to be on the field and have that opportunity right off the bat. Uh, Deontay Johnson in the 24th second. I see Devontae Adams um, for Quentin Johnson in the 24th second for Devontae Adams, like tearing up, tearing down. Then I see Quentin Johnson for Christian Kirk in the late 24th first. So, I mean, a lot of these are that same principle we talk about, right? Like you need to look at that wide receiver. And if you believe in Quentin Johnson, 
then then you buy and you you tear down from Devonte Adams. If you don't believe in Quentin Johnson, you add you know like I see one on here where two twenty four seconds for on top of Chris Quentin Johnson to get Chris Olave. So you didn't believe in Johnson, but you use that asset. I think a lot of times in dynasty, people are like I don't want Quentin Johnson on my team. I don't want player X. You know like understand that player X has value. We need to add to him and use him for that, right? Like tearing down off of this. And if you like Christian Kirk and you get a 24 first, so be it. That works for you, especially in a a rebuilding situation where you insulate and you get that value. It's just, I see so many people right now being like, well, I'm out on this player. I'm out on that player. And when they're in a startup, they're like, I'm going to pass on him because I like this guy better. And they're moving back on a guy that has 60% of the same value. Well, you have to take it into account market value as well, right? And that's why when you're on the clock, you either try to trade or mm. sometimes if I know that there's a player in that range who's probably going to go soon. Um, in my start, my first startup in the last few years, uh, Smash Except 10, I took Garrett Wilson in the second round because I knew, and as soon as I took him, I got three trade offers. <laughs> right? I, That's how it goes. Yeah. Um, even though there were some players that potentially I thought maybe I liked over him at, in that range, I knew that the hype was only going to grow this offseason. And I've held mm-hmm. him so far. And if I get the right offer, I will I will move Wilson in that league. Um, but it's understanding your league mates and the general overall dynasty valuations, right? Because at the end of the day, you have 10 or 12 or 14 people to trade from in this pool so you're limited to who your league mates like and who you like. So if you do know that there's going to be hype on certain players, even if you don't necessarily believe in them, then you're correct. I, I would still trade for them if you're getting good value and then potentially look to flip them later. Or if you're in, in that startup, explore either trading back or just grab that player and have faith that someone's going to shoot you a trade offer very, very soon after you make that pick. And we, we have a lot of startup strategy podcasts that we talk about. But if you look at it, in, in March and April, everyone's trying to get those rookie picks, right? And then in, in late April and May, maybe even early June, everybody's trying to bump up those rookies and kind of get into that area. And those are the guys that everybody wants to invest, invest in, like the new hotness, the Garrett Wilsons, the Jameer Gibbs. the you know Those guys' values just keep rising and rising and rising, and you just got to know that if you even if you don't like Jameer Gibbs, if he falls past Saquon Barkley and goes ahead of you know like he's in that area where it's him or Etienne, then you're taking Jameer Gibbs and you're going to trade him for the plus. Uh, in that fifth round, you everybody knows I love Jerry Judy. One guy I'm starting to come around on really is is DJ Moore. I think you know if you look at since 2021, only six wide receivers have more targets than DJ Moore. That's Jefferson, Adams, Hill, Diggs, Deontay, and Cup. I mean, I think. DJ Moore has never had a quarterback. The knock on him is that's what it's always been, right? Like no quarterback. Who he's played with in the past, Kyle Allen, Teddy Bridgewater, Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, PJ Walker. You know, like he has just not had that. And I know a lot of people want to make the parallels between Justin Fields and and Jalen Hurts and AJ Brown versus DJ Moore. And that's not what we're trying to say here. But if you look at guys that have that 25% plus target share, He's someone that I think is going to be in that area over in the last year. If they have over 25% target share and had an average depth over 12 yards, he's again in a group of elite players. I mean, AJ Brown, Tyreek Hill, Kyle Pitts, Olave, Amari Cooper. So I, I think wide receiver 23 on him is cheap because he's going to be the number one there. But again, 
I, I don't see everybody. I mean, you're in the Chicago area. I don't know what the, the hype is around DJ Moore and Justin Fields, but I'm really starting to come around on him based off his age. I mean, he's still young. He's still in that, in that prime area of his career, and he's an elite-level athlete that, I mean, we've been waiting for him to get a quarterback, and now I feel like we're not talking about him enough. I think he's going to have some massive, massive games, and I mm -hmm. think that this is great news for Fields overall. We talked all last season about the lack of weapons, right? And mm -hmm. part of that is – and that influenced why Chicago was so, so run-heavy last year, right? And on top of Fields' scrambles, they also ran the ball at the running backs a lot. And I think that will increase this year simply because they added the weapons. But at the same time, we've never seen DJ Moore see a ton of touchdowns or red zone targets. Right. And I, he's had some smart offensive coordinators and coaches, so I don't know that this is just misuse. I just think he's more of a chain mover and, and deep threat at times, but isn't necessarily going to get a ton of touchdowns. I think he's a fine wide receiver two area. Oh, yeah. Um, I just don't know that I'm targeting him or prioritizing him as a buy because I think he's still going to have some of those down weeks. And ultimately, I think the volume is going to still be there for him, but not necessarily to the point that it's going to elevate him to a, a top 12 fantasy finish. Yeah, I, I think he ultimately finds himself in that wide receiver two range. But some of these trades I'm seeing among like DeAndre Swift for DJ Moore straight up. I see Rashad Bateman and a late 24 second. DJ Moore and Ryan Tannehill for a late 24 first. DJ Moore in a 24 third for a 24 first. Uh, you're looking at, you know, those those are some type deals where I'm like, I start to look a little bit closer. You know, you're in an area. DJ Moore um, for Brandon Ayuk straight up. You know, like those are some deals where I'm like, okay, like the market isn't caught up to where his potential ceiling is or where he could, you know, wind up being in that area. Um, we can't talk about wide receiver buys without – without talking about your boy, you know, Hollywood Brown. Hollywood Brown right now is going wide receiver 34. And I know we talked about on some of our biggest sells when we were on Launchpad, you know, guys like Jahan Dotson going wide receiver 33. Uh, George Pickens going wide receiver 26. Uh, you know, even, even Calvin Ridley going wide receiver 30, who was my biggest sell in comparison to Hollywood Brown at wide receiver 34, man, 34. Like that is that is almost aging him out as if he's 31 years old. Right. And when you were talking about all that entire range of wide receivers that you just went through, the DJ Moores, the Michael Pittmans, all those guys, I would gladly sell any of those guys for Marquise Brown plus or Zay Flowers plus. Those are two guys who I think belong in that tier, potentially over some of those other guys that you named, um, but are being valued quite a bit lower. And we all saw what Marquise Brown was able to do without DeAndre Hopkins in the first six weeks of the 2022 season. And again, I get that there are concerns about whether Kyler Murray is going to play, how much he's going to play, and how bad the Cardinals are overall. And I think all of those are legitimate concerns. But at the same time, I think it's going to be not that dissimilar from the Detroit situation last year where their defense is so bad. The Cardinals are legit contenders for the number one overall pick. And I think that while they want to potentially uh, tank for Caleb Williams, they still want, and you know, Dave mentioned this when we were on his podcast, they still want to showcase Kyler Murray a little bit. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So they could potentially get trade value for him, right? And find a trade partner and elevate his value a little bit. So I do think he will play a few games, even if it might not be till midseason. And then also because the defense is so bad, even if they're not necessarily trying to go out there and win games, they're going to be in these shootouts where Marquise Brown could see 10 plus targets in a game where they just continue to feed him. We'll see about Trey McBride and Rondale Moore in those ancillary roles. But really, I think Brown is the clear number one in Arizona, and he's going to see a ton of target volume, and we know that he's been a good deep threat as well. So I do think he could have a massive season. Yeah, and I know I've been on the other side where I say he's a you know he's a sell. And on our podcast, we talk about all the time where – a guy could be a buy or a sell, you know, it is very pertinent to where that information is right now. I mean, you know, I'm seeing a trade Jamison Williams for, for Hollywood Brown in an early 24 second. I'm seeing uh, Devonte Adams for, for Hollywood Brown, a, the 112 and the 203 like that. That's just the kind of insulation that you're looking for in this kind of area. You know, you're, there's so much that when we talk about insulated trades and not a lot of people really understand it, even when we talk about it is we're trying to buy the production and then insulate with future value. And in a situation like that, if Hollywood production, Hollywood's production is at a wide receiver two level and you get, you know, an early second and a late first out of that, then you're, you're, and next year, I mean, is there any doubt that Hollywood Brown's ADP is going to be a lot closer, if not higher than where Devonte Adams is as Devonte Adams will be 31 and a half years old. You know, like I, I just still don't think people are totally getting the, the whole principle of it, but when you do, you know, you put yourself in a situation where you are in a position to win twice. Like Devontae Adams, who I absolutely love, you know that as well. But there's a there's a non-zero chance that Hollywood Brown is worth more than him and that 24 first is worth more than him based on what we see out of him this year. Yeah, I love it. I, I think really when you look at those trades too, you try to project for who, who are those picks going to be, right? That mm-hmm. early second next year could be a strong running back option, especially if it's a super flex format. Uh, I, I love the one trade you said, Adams for Brown plus the 112 plus 203. Right. Um, because how I like to think is immediately I sign player values to those picks, right? To me, that's Hollywood Brown plus Devon A. Chain plus Sam Laporta. And yeah. if, if I can get that for Devontae Adams, who I'm a little bit lower on with Garoppolo's injury history and just question marks about that offense overall, I, I would smash accept that. And so really you're looking for the opportunities here. But if you're not high on Brown, then right, swap him out with someone else. Could you get, yeah. if you like Christian Watson a lot, or even if we're not on George Pickens, but you like George Pickens, you believe in him, and you can change Devontae Adams into Pickens plus a first, then yeah, you know, have conviction in your players and get that extra draft capital to insulate those deals. Yeah, like don't be you. You nailed it on the head there, where you said about you know you get a chain in Laporta. Oh, what do you say? Hey, I'm a win now team. You know, like and I already have Travis Kelsey. Okay, well, you're trading away Devontae Adams, then trade the 203 for Keenan Allen plus. Like, get yourself another future pick, and now all of a sudden you have a guy who you think is going to put up the same level of production. Or you could, at the 203 range right now, I mean, you could buy Christian Kirk, you could buy Deontay Johnson, you know, you could buy Mike Evans plus, you could buy Elijah Moore plus. Like, there's an infinite number of possibilities, and I think what we're trying to say is a lot of you guys get short-sighted with it. You're like, okay, I, I don't want, I don't like what's there at the 112, you don't know. Kendra Miller could fall. A-Chain could fall. I've seen some where Dalton Kincaid falls to 112. Like, there is a lot more that goes into it. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the older wide receivers because this is an area that I get a lot of questions on. Um, before we move to, like, the 
the aging, aging veterans. Let's talk about the guys that are in that, you know, 28 plus range, the Calvin Ridley's, the Chris Godwin's, uh, Terry McLaurin's about to be 28 years old. How do you value uh, Amari Cooper as well? So like in that 28 year old range, how do you value production versus value? Because I think a lot of people struggle with the idea of like, okay, 29 years old, we know is the dynasty value cliff. Should I be buying these guys? I mean, I think you're getting incredible value at guys like Chris Godwin was the wide receiver 19 last year. Uh, Terry McLaurin was the wide receiver 14 and they're going wide receiver 29 and Ridley McLaurin and Godwin are going wide receiver 29, 30 and 31. Yeah. And it all comes down to price, right? You should never be completely in or completely out on a player because at the right price, you should always be willing to buy or sell. I I don't care if you hate Michael Mm -hmm. Thomas, like I just don't believe in Michael Thomas, but if somebody offers me him, for a late third or something crazy, then yeah, I'm still going to take that value. Or if I absolutely love uh, Anthony Richardson. I think he's going to become an elite dynasty quarterback. But if someone's offering me five 2024 firsts for him, I'm not going to say no, He, I'm not going to move him for anything. Right. So when you're talking about guys like McLaurin and Ridley, I do think they're going to have strong seasons. Uh, we are already seeing some hype with Calvin Ridley. Uh, with just some OTAs drills, right? Just running through some cones and stuff. Uh, imagine the value bump potentially if he makes a couple highlight reel grabs in training camp. So we talked about this where even if you're rebuilding and you think potentially, well, Calvin Ridley is going to be 29 next year. We know that older wide receivers are harder to sell. But even if you're looking short term where if he has a really great training camp in preseason, Right. And even looking ahead at the schedule, they get the Colts and Chiefs and Texans the first three games for Jacksonville. And if Calvin Ridley blows up for two of those three games, you could probably flip him for a first, maybe even plus a second or two seconds, depending on how high some people are based on those first few games. So you have to look at the potential spikes and falls in value based on how these guys are going to perform, because we know that as soon as we get to in season, Dynasty values are going to be super, super fluid from week to week based on somebody who got two targets last week or somebody who saw 12 targets in week one. And then from then on, they see five a game, something along those lines. Right. So, so yeah. And that, so basically long story short, I think those are buys or sells based on the price that you're getting and based on your roster construction. I love it. You know, and I got to I got to say this, guys, if you guys are not in this magic set Patreon, like we will help you out with these kind of trades. You know, a lot of people are they just want to look at who we say is a buy, who we say is a sell. And there's a lot more that goes into it. You know, I put a value thread out there on Calvin Ridley right now. He's going, you know, 52 percent prefer Godwin, 48 Ridley. I would go Godwin all day. Right now, Hollywood Brown versus Ridley, 65-35. You know, so if you're buying Hollywood Brown, that's that's a way to look at that. 57% of people are willing to give up a 24 first for Calvin Ridley. The interesting one that I wanted to look at, and I, I've been talking about this a lot at the running back position, right, is like um, moving off of, say, Travis Etienne for a 24 first and Joe Mixon or Aaron Jones. You know, so you buy the production and you insulate with the pick. It's different at the wide receiver position, you know, and I think that's one where we got to look at. But an interesting trade that was on here is Calvin Ridley and a random 24 first or Drake London. 
And 54% of the, the listeners out there said that they would prefer Calvin Ridley. So let's talk about that. We, we often advocate doing that at the running back position because it's a volatile position. Should we consider doing that at the, running, at the wide receiver position? Here you're getting possibly more production out of Calvin Ridley and a 24 first for Drake London. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, we talked about London, how I like him a lot long term, but I think if both are healthy, Ridley is going to outproduce London in 2023. Um, I expect him to be the clear number one in Jacksonville. And it seems like he has shaken off that rust pretty well already, but we'll see. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a potential where if you say, hey, you know, you message the league, I'm selling Drake London for two firsts and a second. I don't know that you're going to get many bites, but if you can somehow get Ridley in a first, and like I said, down the line, if Ridley has a couple of big games to open the season, you could get a first plus second, then you just turn Drake London to two firsts and a second, regardless of how you feel about him. That's more value than I think anyone would value him as, right? Yeah, and that's what I'm advocating doing off of, like, when you have those middle rounds, those five, six, seven guys, depending on if you believe in them or you don't, I'm advocating if you have George Pickens and you can get, you know, George Pickens in a third for Keenan Allen in a first, you're getting the production, you're getting the pick. And ultimately that pick could be worth more than when Pickens, when you get into next year, you know, Tyler Lockett would be another position there where you, you could get Lockett in a first, I think for, for Pickens or for slightly, maybe even Jahan Dotson, whose value has just risen incrementally I, I had to look it up because you were talking about it any guess on wide receiver adp from michael thomas what wide receiver number he's going at <laughs> uh 47 60 60 right now his wide receiver 60 behind darnell mooney john mechie jacoby meyer and brandon cooks there i mean I, there, there is an outside chance that he bounces back to 70 percent of what he was 80 percent of what he was Honestly, I would take Cooks and Myers over uh, Michael Thomas at this point, but certainly, I, you know, we haven't seen anything out of Mechie. I'm glad he's healthy now. Hopefully he does well, but uh, yeah, I mean, at a certain point, Michael Thomas becomes a value, right? Mm -hmm. But I think in the offseason, what needs to be said more is everyone in Dynasty suffers from what I like to call a shiny toy syndrome or STS, maybe. Maybe I can coin that term. There you go. Make it a thing yeah. where you know, oh, we like, we love Drake London, right? We love Jackson Smith and Jigba. Uh, we love Jordan Addison. And if you build a dynasty team and somehow you had multiple firsts and you grab all those guys um, and you add this influx of talented young wide receivers to your roster, you feel amazing, right? Mm -hmm. This roster looks excellent. I, I created an A, right, heading into July. And then week one and week two and week three hits and guys with, you know, Brandon Cooks and Keenan Allen and maybe Michael Thomas or, or even, you know, Tyler Lockett, guys who are starting a roster of all those old guys are 3-0 and and you're sitting at 0-3 and all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, all of a sudden the the hype and the excitement of those shiny new toys that you added in the offseason wears off a little bit. And I think you still should pursue youth, but you should temper expectations about how their values are going to rise or fall over time because we know that in season production is really what drives dynasty value. So kind of look ahead to that and understand that these old guys who you should not pay a first for are still going to be worth something once the points are actually being put on the board. 
And that's why we talk about, you know, in, in our year one punts where we were getting all those first round picks or in these insulated deals, everybody wants those rookies because those are the shiny new toys, you know, and those those sophomore year, you know, like those sophomore guys. I know Zoltan put out a, a thing where by the time you got a year two of a year two punt, he was winning at 65% of his leagues, you know, and it's like being able to understand the market right and moving the guys i mean in rookie draft i was able to dr- trade cj stroud for chris Olave because the hype started to be around that rookie crowd now you could do that opposite plus you know it's all about your timing of when you're buying these guys and right now the time to buy veterans is closing right like their value is going to go up because everybody's going to start favoring production mung this was this was fun you know like i feel like when we start to get a little bit deeper like we have the last couple of weeks we could go on for for hours and we we typically go a little bit over that hour mark now but uh any one wide receiver you know this is for that 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 fan that listens to the very end one <laughs> one deep wide receiver after say you know your your top 45 50 wide receivers that you would just be you know i'm, I'm taking a shot on this guy yeah i you know, I wrote an article about, uh, you know, the wish versions of some wide receivers, right? Getting them for much cheaper for potentially similar production. And I, I love Robert Woods for this year. People have He's completely so written him off. Um, I'm trying to see where he goes right now, but he's 31 it's- years old. Uh, which isn't he's super wide, old. Just, wide receiver 98 at 22, 22nd round. I, I'd rather take a shot at him over Michael Thomas, if I'm going to be completely honest. Uh, the way he wins, um, he's an excellent route runner. He certainly had a, a very down year in Tennessee last year, but we know that older players take longer to return from major injuries like the ACL he suffered mm-hmm. in 2021. So I think two years removed from that, we could see him closer to you know, 80 90% of what Robert Woods used to be. And when you look at that Texans roster, I mean, their defense still has some work to do. They were certainly pretty good on, on some weeks um, last year with Lovey Smith, but we'll see. And I think there's a non-zero chance that Woods could see upwards of 100 targets and lead the Texans in targets in 2023. We know I compared him to Marvin Jones back in the day when Trevor Lawrence took over and everyone was on LaVisca Chenault and those guys. But sometimes those rookie wide receivers just – latch on to those veterans or those rookie quarterbacks latch on to the veterans that they can rely on. And I think that Woods could absolutely finish as potentially a top 24 wide receiver and he's being left for dead. Ooh, that's spicy. I, I was, I put a tweet out the other day about the Texans wide receiver core and it's like Mechie at 58, Nico at 69, Nathaniel Dell at 71 and Woods all the way down there at 98. I mean, I don't think any of them ultimately become like, you know, none of them are going to be wide receiver ones, but they're all going to have some value. Someone's going to emerge there as the wide receiver one there. And they're in a, a they're going to be in a lot of negative game script. And, you know, that team's going to have some some bumps and bruises. And we know we know that Stroud is a highly accurate quarterback. He's going to be able to, you know, get the ball to guys like who are, are, are good route runners like Woods, like Mechie. So excited to see how that shapes out. Excited for, you know, Scott Fishbowl coming up. And man, I mean, the draft is right around the actual NFL starts in, in less than, you know, 90 days now. So, I mean, it's super exciting. Thanks again for tuning in guys and enjoy the process.